0: well good morning, good morning. Good morning Billy. yeah my name is Billy I am the executive pastor on staff here and um, yeah just one of the ways we continue to worship is through our tithes and offerings and so we don't see this as a separate thing when we uh, give to the church we see that it's just another way we can worship the Lord with all we have and you know whether it's 10 percent one percent or a hundred percent I don't recommend 100% actually, but uh, what matters is, hey, one of the ways we worship is just through giving of what the Lord has blessed us with, and so, uh, and we're so thankful for what the Lord has been able to do through just giving from everyday, ordinary people. Um, Yeah, and just a quick plug, I kind of forgot about this, but today's Super Bowl Sunday, you know? Okay. Cool, we'll move on. We'll move on, that's great. Jesus is better. (laughs) That's right. Worship is way better. Amen. Uh, Well, last week we started a series called Radiance of His Glory. And the hope and the goal of this is that we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about what it means to be a radiant church, uh, specifically through looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospels and how he himself radiated the glory of God. And so our our verse that we're kind of getting this from is Hebrews chapter one, verse three. It says this, that he... Jesus is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature, speaking of God. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. So last week, just to do a brief recap and catch everyone up to speed to where we're at. Uh, we shared, we talked about how in order for us to be a radiant church, to radiate the glory of God, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can only go so far with our own capabilities, our own knowledge, our own wisdom and our own strategy and planning. We cannot fully demonstrate the nature of God like Jesus did without doing it the way Jesus did, which was being filled and led by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so today we're going to talk about and try to answer the question, well, how did Jesus radiate the glory of God in his mission? Like what he came to do, which we're going to talk about, but how did he show and reveal what God was wanting and, and what, what it means to, to be a lover of God? And so, just to give you the answer up front, and then we'll unpack it, the answer to that is through discipleship. Discipleship was the way. So, he chose to make disciples, and he radiated the glory of God by, you know, picking a handful of dudes and relating to to them in a way that would impart the values of the kingdom to them. And they on would go to do the same. So, that is how Jesus did church, and that's how we try to do church, through discipleship. So, what was... Jesus' ultimate goal. Have you thought about that? Like, was it just to come and get a bunch of people saved and in heaven one day? I think we touched on this last week, but no, that was not his goal. He wasn't just trying to get people to heaven. (coughs) He was trying to build a church, or in other words, a body, or in other words, a bride. If you think about all these different parables that Jesus spoke of in the Gospels, there's so many about this wedding banquet to come. You know, in Revelation, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is like the final culmination of all things, where we finally unite with Christ. And so his goal was not just to get people to heaven, but to create a body, a people for himself. And if you remember, just I guess now two weeks ago, Tyler introduced the vision statement of the church. The vision statement of this church, which is... Wow, I blanked on it for a second. (laughs) To present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return. And we briefly talked about this. And again, we're going to talk about this probably years to come, but just how the Bible shows us that Jesus is coming back for a church. He's coming back for a body. And so I've asked myself this question, what could Jesus have done to get what he wanted? You know, he's God. He could have done basically anything, right? He could have done whatever he wanted. Well, here's a couple of things that I came up with. He could have come in glory as God, like just appeared to all men everywhere, just Bursting in with glory, light surrounding him, and just forced earthlings to bow down to him. Right? He could have done that. To step it down a bit, he could have just been made as a full grown man, like Adam was. Adam was not a baby, he was just a man. And he could have appeared to the Jews and just, you know, made them exalt him as king. That's one way. To step it down one bit, he, uh, he could have been, you know, when he was released into the ministry, he could have commanded the angel armies just to be his entourage. Just go around with like thousands of angels everywhere and definitely could have got a following that way that would have worked he could have taken control of the minds of people i know this is kind of strange but him like wow i guess he could have he just made everyone just snap his fingers everyone's like lord you know <laughs> i don't know he could have wrote the book himself you know he, he or rather than write it, he could have just like made it appear in everyone's hands in their own language and they're all just reading it he's just walking around and like it's you, the king, you know. It just, there's a lot he could have done, okay? He could have gathered a giant crowd and then in front of this great crowd have been transfigured. Like in Matthew 17, he could have transfigured in front of everyone and had his face shine like the sun and his garments shine bright like white, like light. And then, he, you know, Elijah and Moses could have appeared and why not all the Old Testament saints just kind of blip back into existence and just testify that he is God. He could have got the following that way by awing the crowd. But what did he do instead? Well, instead of bursting into our world in glory as God Almighty, he took on the form of a man. And instead of becoming a full grown man like Adam and just right out of the gate, he was born a baby to a virgin in a manger in a little nowhere town called Bethlehem. And instead of having, you know, this entourage of angels escorting him around and just being his squad, he was re- rejected and despised by men. And instead of awing the crowd with glorious transfiguration, he made disciples. He chose the very slow process of making disciples. All the other stuff that he could have done definitely sounds more radiance of his glory, right? It's like... You think big and glorious, bursting kind of things. But he chose the slow process, the not so glamorous process, the difficult process. Because his ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. And we're going to kind of unpack some of this in detail. You see, Jesus was actually not that interested in gathering a large crowd. In fact, many times when he did that, he definitely drew a crowd But there were many times when he did that, he he would just slip away, and there were some times where it looked like there was a revival going on in a city, because this crowd would come and he'd be healing them and all that, and then he would say, "I got to go to the next city." We would all say, "Wait, hold on! There's a revival. Have at least a few meetings." But he's like, "I'm doing the will of the Father." He said, "Go, I got to go." He didn't care about the crowds. I mean, he cared about them. Obviously, he loved them. He healed them. He delivered them from demons. But the story of the Gospels is not Jesus being revealed plus the crowd. It's Jesus being revealed plus his disciples. We learn about his disciples. The command was not to gather a large crowd, but the command was to go and make disciples. And that's what he told his followers to do. So that's what his apostles did. That's what his apostles taught others to do. And that's what others have done. And that is what we continue to do today. To make disciples. You see, if someone amassed a great crowd today, we would probably be pretty impressed. We'd say, wow, look at that crowd. How many, how many came to that thing? Because we get caught up in numbers. But Jesus was far more interested in the quality of the people following rather than just the quantity. There was a certain quality of people that he wanted to, to spread throughout the earth, not just numbers. He's like, well, I don't care who they are, just get them out there. That's not how He worked. You know, I wonder if in today's uh, world, we might even see that as, as a ministry failure. Because at the end of three and a half years of ministry, really on the cross, he had 11 faithful disciples. And they were still kind of on the fence. You know, we would see that as like, wow, three and a half years. Like, you only had 11? Bummer. Well, maybe the next guy. <clears throat> but that's not true. <laughs> I heard a little fable, and I'll share it with you. Um, about a rabbit talking to a lion okay true story <laughs> the rabbit was boasting to the lion and said hey last year I had two dozen children two dozen and uh, the rabbit asked the lion how many children do you have last year and the lion said well I only had one but it was a lion <laughs> Do you see my point? (laughs) I hope you see my point. Jesus successfully imparted the kingdom, values, and the culture to even just a few. But the the quality of those few transformed literally the entire world. It's not about numbers. It is about the quality. And so it would be a miss on my part if I didn't spend at least a few minutes breaking down what it means to be a disciple according to Jesus. Uh, And I would like for you to hear that from the words of Jesus himself. So let me read it to you. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. You can join me in your Bibles, or I think they'll be on the screen. Starting in verse 25, it says this, Now large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and said to them, Jesus, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters... Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. Okay, there's a lot there, and I'm not going to spend the entire time diving into that, although we could. But I want to point out three things specifically when it comes to what does it mean to be a disciple, which I think maybe you caught when you were listening. The first thing is this, that to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to love Jesus more than anyone else. I mean, there's some strong language that he uses here. He said you have to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, everyone. And what that means is in comparison, our love for Jesus Should in comparison to love for others, should almost look like hatred to everyone else. Because we love Jesus so much, meaning we would always choose Jesus over mom, over dad, over husband, over wife, over children. Always. He's first. In Matthew's record of the gospel, he says, uh, he who does not love me more than father, mother, son, daughter is not worthy of me. And so right out of the gate, we see, wow, there's a very high bar to be a disciple of Jesus, that we have to love him more than other human beings. But the second thing, not only that, is that we now have to love Jesus more than our own self. That we have to carry our cross daily. We have to deny ourselves every single day. You must love Jesus more than you love yourself. And lastly, that you give up all your possessions. In other words, you must love Jesus more than your stuff. Do you, you, you can have stuff, having stuff is great, but the question is, do you have stuff for, because God wanted you to enjoy that and to do it well? Or is it if you have it and you lose it, you lose yourself? You know what I'm saying? Is it tight-fisted where if you lose that thing, you, you don't know what to do with yourself? Or is it like, hey, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away? Yeah. And so all things, all people, and even all of myself has to come second to this number one command of loving Jesus supremely. That is a disciple of Christ. And so with this in view, we can see how, okay, if he's got 11 disciples, but if they're like that, the the quality of these men and women could easily change the world. It starts to make sense. That's why it says in Acts chapter 17, there's a little phrase in there. It says Paul and Silas went into this town and they started preaching the gospel. And the town starts complaining and it says, These two men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Two guys. That was the reputation, because they were disciples, disciples of Jesus. So with all this in view, when we say discipleship, what do we mean? Discipleship. Not a boat full of disciples, right? Sorry. Dad jokes, man. Ever since I had another kid a month ago, the dad jokes came back. I'm like, yes. That's whatever, you know. Discipleship means this. It just means we're helping one another become more like Jesus. We're helping one another to become disciples. The formal definition that we've kind of coined here is this. One person helping others to become lifelong, obedient followers of Jesus who teach others to do the same. Discipleship. One person helping others become followers of Jesus. All right. So there's a couple of things I want to uh, point out when it comes to discipleship. The first thing is this. It's called fellowship. So when I am working on becoming a disciple myself and Kevin's working on becoming a disciple himself and John's working on it and Joel's working on it and the other John's working on it and Matthew's working on it. I mean, when we're all working on just becoming disciples of Jesus, and then when in turn we come together and we help each other become disciples of Jesus, we experience something called fellowship. True discipleship creates true fellowship. You cannot have real discipleship without real fellowship. So let me explain what I mean. When, when I first came to Antioch, back in 2011, I was a junior here at Texas A&M. Uh, <laughs> yep, uh, I was a mechanical engineer, and I, I experienced something when I, when I met the people. I, I mean, it wasn't the building that awed me. I mean, definitely not the building. We were in the, the Hilton Hotel, some conference room, and, you know, it wasn't the high tech. I mean, the lights were on or off, I think. It was like, we got, you know... The audio, you know, Matt Stewart had to, and Joel, yeah, you guys right there, both had to bring the sound equipment every Sunday and set it all up. I mean, it was a production. It, was, it worked, you know. But that's not what had me. What had me was there was something in the people that had me. I had been part of large gatherings before where I am part of the crowd. And what I want to say is I didn't join a crowd when I came to Antioch. A crowd is when you have a bunch of people in a room or in a place but you're not connected to one another. Yep. You're just there for the thing in the front. Yeah. You're just there for the performance or maybe there's a great teaching, whatever it is, but think of a music concert or a, uh, a movie. You know, like the world <clears throat> uses their Friday nights and they go out and they'll either see a movie or go to a concert and that's their gathering. The church, sometimes Christians just do that on Sunday. They come together and they're gathering and they see something up at the front. Is it really that different? If that's what church is, you're just seeing a performance at the front. No. That's a crowd where you're not connected to one another. Yep. But the other thing I didn't join that in 2011 was I didn't join a club. And a club is the opposite, where you just gather for fellowship. That's it. The whole purpose is I'm going to meet that need for friendship and community right here in this club. Yeah. And that is the main focus. <clears throat> I instead joined a church where we would, we, the focus wasn't just vertical, where it's like, I'm just going to worship Jesus. Don't talk to me. And the focus wasn't just horizontal where it's like we're here just to be buddy-buddy. But it was both. I joined a people who loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and then in turn went around in loving one another. That's the difference. The focus is both loving God and loving others. Loving God in full adoration and worship. But knowing you can't have that without loving people and loving the believers with full adoration. In Matthew 22 Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the law? You've heard this. He said, number one, love God with everything. Oh, by the way, number two, they're attached. You have to love others. Love others as well. Let me read another verse. 1 John 4, verse 19 to 21. John writes this. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister... He is a liar, ouch. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So what I found when I joined Antioch was a people fired up for the Lord and fired up for each other and to do it together. And so discipleship is not just loving Jesus supremely But it is also loving others supremely. Loving them with your whole heart. It has to be both. The one who says, I love God, but is roaming around like a spiritual homeless person, never connecting to other believers in a local church, is deceived. I'm not afraid to say that. You're deceived. I'm not impressed with your devotion to Jesus if you're not also devoted to his people, in authentic relationships through a local fellowship. Not impressed. See, Jesus didn't make a disciple. (laughs) He made disciples. And he told them to make disciples. And a big part of that was bringing them together in fellowship. You do not have discipleship without fellowship. I mean, we can all agree that Jesus loved God more than anyone else, right? There's no argument there? Okay, we're on the same page? Great. So what did he do? He lived life on life with a bunch of dudes Went around, did, just did normal life, and taught about the kingdom of God. And usually unplanned. I mean, so many times in the Gospels, Jesus would be going about his day, and a teaching moment would arise. Not because he had planned and scheduled, all right, 3 o'clock on Friday, we're going to talk about this. But because something would happen as they did life together. Yeah. I mean, think about the scribes and Pharisees once challenged Jesus when he's going about his day about paying taxes to Caesar. Again, not a planned moment, but what did the disciples learn right there? They learned what it means to give God what is God's. Yeah. Another time, they're you know traveling on the road, eating and picking the heads of grains on the Sabbath, and if you know the story, they got a revelation that moment of Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. It wasn't planned, but as they did life in relationship, Jesus revealed Himself, and discipleship took place. There are many examples of this throughout the gospel. So last week, you know, we talked about needing to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that really is step number one, because what the Spirit does is when He fills us, is He unites us. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we're baptized into one body. We're baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 says this, for even as the body is one, And yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We're baptized into one body. This is a revelation that a lot of people do not have. You know, there have been people I have met, who I've never met, actually. But then I do meet them. And I sense a connection with them that seems only possible if I've known them for years. If you've ever experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. How can that be? And I've been able to discern right there. It's like, oh, it's because the same spirit that filled me filled him. And so there's fellowship instantly. We're all made to drink of one spirit. Think of when Jesus and John the Baptist were both in their mother's womb. In Luke chapter 1. It says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, that John leapt in her womb. How is that connection there? Well, that connection's there because it says in Luke chapter one, verse 15, that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. I mean, and then Paul would write in Philippians, Philippians chapter two, he says, if there's any fellowship in the spirit, make my joy complete, being of the same mind Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see the language of unity and fellowship surrounding the spirit? It's there. And so when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're baptized into one body. It's the Holy Spirit who does the building us up together. And if, if you say you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then he must have connected you to a body. He must have united you to a body. You cannot live an individualistic lifestyle, individualistic lifestyle, if you've truly been filled with the Holy Spirit. If you thought otherwise, I'm so sorry. You've been duped. You can't do it. When there's a genuine filling of the Spirit, He will bring you into fellowship with other believers, imperfect though they are. He brings us together to work together, and that's not an easy task. Bringing two people together into one body, making them one, is very difficult. Any husband and wife can attest to this. From what I hear, I don't know. People tell me that. I'm like, my wife, we're, you know, no issues there. But it has to be a work of the Spirit. I mean, think about Jesus' ministry, okay? Realize this. Jesus couldn't even make two of his disciples one. Not because he was weak, but because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Three and a half years of ministry. Think of this. Three and a half years, the disciples are following Jesus, the greatest teacher, the greatest prophet, the greatest man there ever was. And they're all throughout the way they're still arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. Even in the night he was betrayed. This is not like he, they learned over three years, they're like they still didn't get it. They were arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. They were very human, okay? But what happened the moment they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Fellowship. Fellowship was now added to the equation. It was added to the definition of discipleship. Now you're not just one person listening to Jesus' teachings and trying to live a holy life and loving him supremely, but now you're doing it in communion with others. I mean, speaking of Pentecost, think of the gift of tongues that was poured out. Even in tongues, all these people are speaking different languages, but you know what the Bible says? It says they're saying one thing. It says in Acts 2.11, they're proclaiming the mighty works of God. Doesn't matter the language. All this is a variety of language. It wasn't someone's prophesying about the end times and someone's talking about what's going to happen in three years. And someone's saying a word about prayer and then another one's saying a word about evangelism. It was all one thing. Proclaiming the mighty works of God. And then right afterwards, it says this. This is a verse I think we're familiar with. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They had all things in common and day by day continuing in one mind. And it says many were being saved. So in Acts chapter 1, they're praying together. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. 3,000 are born again. And then the apostles right there begin to teach them how to go on in the Christian life. And, and they say to come together. Listen to teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread, prayer. From the very beginning, they were taught to come together. I'm just going to add a little plug here real quick. This is why, maybe this is my opinion. This is my opinion, not the Lord's. There we go. Paul said that. This is why virtual church isn't church. This is my little plug. Jesus did not come to build that kind of church. Because there's no real life and life fellowship going on. Yeah. We have virtual, we have live streaming for those who are part of this body who just can't be here because they're sick or traveling, whatever. But it comes from this false notion that going to church means listening to the main speaker. Yeah. I go to church, I listen to that guy. It's like, well, that's only one aspect of church. What about fellowship? What about prayer? Come Coming together and praying? What about breaking bread? Yeah. What about discipleship? Yes. Metaverse is not... Church. (laughs) Bible verse. Anyone? Bible verse? Wow. The dad jokes are fire today. This is good. Come on, somebody. Josh, don't make a shirt. Wherever Josh is, do not make a shirt. (laughs) Okay. Do y'all remember what Jesus said the identifying mark of a disciple would be? I'll read it, just in case. John 13, verse 34 to 35. He says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, he could have said something else. If it were you and me, we probably would have said something else. We would have said miracles. Like, if you see someone get healed, that's how you know. He didn't say that. He didn't say by your fasting, they'll know. By your prayer, they'll know. By your giving, they'll know. By your Bible knowledge, they'll know. Even by your obedience. He didn't say that. I mean, most of the time, your obedience is done in a secret place. People don't know about it. He said this, it's by your love for one another that everyone who looks at you will say, that's a disciple of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what people see, right? They see how you treat one another. And when they see a group of different people with different backgrounds, with different upbringings, different cultures, with different ages, with different giftings, with different personalities, different skills, different everything, come together and somehow love each other in perfect harmony, their mind is blown. And they say, these must be disciples of Jesus. That is the way we know. And again, this is why we cannot separate fellowship from discipleship. It's the Holy Spirit who builds us together. And how does the Holy Spirit build us together? It's because through the Holy Spirit, when we're baptized into one body, we are now connected and submitted to the head of that body, which is Christ. When we're all submitted to the head, we can operate in perfect harmony. I mean, it's like, it's like my two hands. They're, 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 in a way, they're very different. In a way, they're opposites. The thumb's on this side on this hand and the thumb's on this side on the other hand. I mean, they're flipped. They're opposites. Yet God put them together in one body. And how is it that they can work together? I mean, we saw Clark playing the piano, right? It's just, if you didn't hear the music, it just looks like mess. He's just doing this. But then you listen, like, how are all they, they're like, it's beautiful. How? Because his hands are, are submitted to the head. It's, it's, it's not that they're hanging out all the time, right? Like this. That's how the fellowship is built. Like, dude, you wouldn't get much done if all you did was just hang out, right? But it's because through the body, they're connected and submitted to the head. really yeah, so good. Thank they, you <laughs> I knew you would like that, bro. I'm looking at you and I'm like, I bet you Kayla's like this Okay, but say this. Let's say, because the fellowship's broken and you have a paralyzed hand. Well, now cooperation is broken and, and now it doesn't sound as pretty there's conflict. The arm's like, hey, we need to move. The head is telling us it's time to move and the hand's like, nah, this is paralyzed. Oftentimes when there's conflict in relationships, it starts here, between us and God. And if we have that relationship intact, then we're not gonna be shaken. We're gonna realize, yeah, people are perfect, but we're not gonna be rocked. So there's a proper connection with the head. Two different people can work together in perfect harmony. It's just... You know, we may have to bear with one another in love, of course, because there's imperfections. Uh, and that's what we should do. But when we see imperfections in others, we just need to remember, oh, they have to deal with my imperfections too. Okay, I can deal with yours. I can bear, bear with your imperfections. Thank you for bearing with mine, which far outweigh yours, by the way. That's the way you should think. <clears throat> so part of discipleship is fellowship. You cannot be a real disciple of Jesus doing real discipleship without real Fellowship, okay? Okay, the last element I wanna talk about when it comes to discipleship is what I'm calling ownership. Ownership. What I mean is that we all have a role to play. We all have a role to play. There's no such thing as a disciple of Jesus who, who doesn't contribute to the mission of God. We all contribute. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how we are all his fellow workers. In 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about how we are his ambassadors, all of us. And the responsibility of the message of reconciliation has been given us, been given to all of us. In Ephesians 2, it says we're his workmanship, created for good works, all of us. And so the work of ministry is for everyone who calls Jesus their Lord. This separation between, uh, to use semi-archaic terms, clergy and lay people is not a biblical concept It is unbiblical. Yes, it may be the leaders of the church equipping the saints, but for what purpose? For the work of ministry, so that the saints of God can go out and build the body of Christ wherever they're going, doing whatever they're doing. That's called discipleship. The reason we have a role to play is because the body is not one member, but is many members, many members, not like in numbers, like we have two legs or like thousands of skin cells, but like in purposes. We all have a different purpose, a different function, a different role to play within the body. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 12 again. Verse 14, if you want to turn with me, you can. Should have bookmarked it. All right. <clears throat> 14 to 27, Let me read in a chunk, here we go. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any, any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You are Christ's body and individually members of it. Okay, that was a lot, but let me say something very obvious, real quick. Your hand has ownership in your body. Your foot has ownership in the body. Meaning, your hand and your feet, they're gonna do everything they can within their gifting and purpose to help the body and to make sure that the body is whole and healthy and functioning. You know, that's why we say, you know, the vision statement to present to Christ a radiant church, ready for his return. We believe that's for everyone. It's not just pastors who are going to present to Christ the church. That's not how it works. We all have a part to play and we're all going to stand before Jesus to present to him our part we played. A radiant church or not. It's for every one of us. Um, and sometimes we can think there are different important levels. Like Sometimes we can feel like we're, we think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. You know, For example, if the mouth thought too highly of itself because it's speaking you know, where would the mouth be without the voice box or the larynx? I think it's the term. There would be no speaking. It would, look, it would just be mute. Make moving, but no noise. So the mouth has really no room to be proud and think, "Wow, well, I'm, I'm high and mighty I'm the mouth. I mean, think of the eye. Same thing. The eye, it sees. It's a big deal, right? But where would the eye be without something as small as the eyelash? The eyelash is, I mean, that's a small, insignificant part of the body, right? Wrong. If we didn't have our eyelashes, I mean, the eyelash prevents dust and debris from getting dry, which then could cause us to go blind. I mean, do you see the value and the importance on every part of the body? It's that little eyelash that gently but faithfully helps to keep that eye clean and removes dust and debris. Let me say this. Do you know what that's called? Discipleship. That is called discipleship. Where we, being one body, doing life on life together, helping each other to remain clean, helping to keep the dust out of each other's eyes, helping each other to become more and more like Jesus. I mean, that's discipleship. We get the logs out of our own eye so that we can help get the specks out of our brother's eye. We make sure we're whole and healthy so that we can help the body become whole and healthy. You know, I've I've broken my arm twice in my life, okay? My right arm. Same arm. Once when I was in elementary school uh, playing soccer, uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I was playing goalie and the ball which is, it was just, ah, it just broke. <laughs> it was just weak. Uh, <laughs> and then once uh, in middle school playing backyard football, tackle, because that's it's smart. When you're in middle school, you're like, yeah, let's play tackle football. Broke my arms. Clean break. Um, listen, I quickly learned that I want my arm to be whole and healthy, because I need my arm to like function in normal day life. If you ever broken your arm, you gotta cast showers, right? You're like, whoa, (laughs) that's a task. You know, I took the approach of like, uh, bagging it and and rubber banding it, yeah. (laughs) Because you're not supposed to get it wet, so instantly you're like, wow, I want my arm to be healthy because it helps the body, right? And my arm wanted to be healthy to help the body, not just for my arm's sake. My arm, yes, it was in pain, it wanted to be healthy because it wanted to be in pain, but unto helping the body without pain. You see that? I mean, casts. Think of the itch, right? You're like, man, this thing needs to get better, the itch. Put a lot of value on these little fingernails that maybe you think, oh, these fingernails. Thank God we have those guys. (laughs) But I want to ask you, do you feel like, I I don't know, the vibe I get sometimes is some people feel like they're just a little fingernail or they're just a little eyelash. And do you feel like the mission of God to, you know, to make disciples of Jesus who transform towns and nations is for just the strong and the mighty arm or whatever? And you're just a little eyelash? Then you have not seen that Christ came for a body. He did not come for a hierarchy, an organization with a hierarchy. He came for a body. And every member has something to play. Something to own. <clears throat> There's nothing like the church. Amen? Amen. His ways are not our ways. Okay, in closing with the band to come on up. You know, this is not out of reach for any one of us, discipleship. It's not out of reach. Cuz it's, it's it's just we're helping one another become more like Jesus and taking ownership, realizing that yeah, whatever I have to give is needed in the body. It may not be the mouth, but there's only one mouth. There's a lot of white blood cells that help bring healing. You I say that. It's realizing that as I purify my life, as I become someone who loves Jesus more than everyone, who loves Jesus more than myself, who loves Jesus more than my possessions. And as I help others become like that, we start to, by the spirit, form a body, which is what Christ is coming for. He's coming for a body. It's one person helping others to become lifelong obedient followers of Jesus who teach others to do the same. It's the eyelash helping the eye by keeping the dust out. It's the eye then helping the hand by seeing if something is wrong. It's the hand helping the mouth by bringing food and sustenance. It's the mouth helping the stomach by chewing down the tough food so it's digestible and so on and so forth. We all have a part to play. And the thing is, it's... uh, Each member is not just helping the other member. Each member is helping the body. My hand, when it's helping my mouth to eat, is helping the body, as you know. So no matter what role you're playing, maybe it's just here. Maybe your role is kingdom kids. You're helping volunteer. Maybe you're a life group leading. Maybe you're going to life group. That's your role. Maybe you're just raising your kids and you can barely make it to church. There's value in every member of the body and it helps the whole body. You're not helping kingdom kids when you're helping kingdom kids. You're helping the church. Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? These guys aren't helping you lead worship. They're helping the church. Yeah. I mean, there's not, I, I, I would bet there's not a single part of the body you'd gladly go without, right? A little pinky toe, you need that? You got an extra rib. You probably don't need it. Wrong, no. We want every member of our body, in our body, we want them functioning and whole and healthy. One more verse, Ephesians chapter four, verse 15. Paul writes and says this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love that is the church friends that is the church and Discipleship's discipleship is going to look different per life stage right it, it's not about what it looks like so for college students and young adults you might have time to group discipleship over coffee and just talk about Jesus in fact there's probably no reason why you shouldn't be doing that you got time for families with little ones it's probably going to look different and, and you, you know I'll say this Parents, do not downplay making disciple of your kids. Yes. Do not downplay that or see that as less, or less significant than some ministry somewhere. Yes. You can make disciples of the whole world, but if you don't make disciples of your kids, you've missed it. Yes. And I don't want you to find out on the day when Jesus comes back. I want you to know now. That is important. Yes. When you're discipling your kids and you're hardly involved at church, you're helping to build the church. The point isn't about the structure, but the point is, just take, uh, the point about taking ownership in the body is, are you helping someone just to become like Jesus? Are you becoming like Jesus? Do you realize we're all playing a role? That's, that's what it's about. Okay, let's go ahead and stand. We'll wrap it up. <clears throat> So the way of discipleship is the way of fellowship and it is the way of ownership. You cannot separate these. We're not called to be one fiery coal. We're called to be a furnace of fiery coals who come together and create a blazing fire. And you can't do that with just one hot coal here and there. It takes fellowship. It takes discipleship. Each coal burning hot. And it takes ownership. It's each coal adding their heat to the bla- to blaze. We all have a part to play. And we all contribute to the mission of God. And so Jesus showed us how to be a radiant church by firstly being filled with this Holy, the Holy Spirit. But then by saying, I'm going to choose the way of discipleship. I'm going to build a body. I'm going to make it to where everyone has a role to play. and Everyone can do discipleship. That's the way of the kingdom. And that's why in this church, that's our mission, to make disciples of Jesus who transform towns and nations. So just as we end up, uh, I'd love for some life group leaders to come up and just serve as the ministry team. You can go ahead and make your way up right now. But if, if just during this message, the Lord has been speaking to you, again, just come up for prayer. You know, we mentioned about this this prophetic word over this movement being this boiler room and prayer and reading again in Acts chapter 2 it's like they came together for prayer They're not just teaching again not just fellowship but also for prayer and maybe there's just something stern in your heart that the Lord is speaking to you about I would encourage you and urge you come up and receive prayer pray together we are the church this is what separates us from a performance where we do life on life together where we're real with one another we say hey I'm having a hard time here. Can you pray for me? And receive strength from that other member of the body. So just see this moment as, Lord, through the body, you are pouring out your spirit. If you need prayer for healing, if you need a word of encouragement, if you just, the Lord's just stirring something, you don't even know what you need, just come up, come up for prayer. These guys will pray for you and the Lord will move and speak to each one of us. So I'm gonna pray, Father, we trust you. We are amazed that you came to not just build an organization, not like building, but a body. It blows our mind, Lord. But you've called us together. You've called us into discipleship where we submit our lives to you, Jesus, our head, and we love one another in deep fellowship and unity. Lord, we ask that you would baptize us into one body, that you would unite us in fellowship here in this local church. And that every single one of us would contribute to the mission of God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we